welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. Why can't I ever fall in love with somebody nice like you? Yeah, well, that's the way it crumbles, cookie-wise. So we have four festive bonus episodes of Don't You Want Me. Uh, I got to pick one film. Rich got to pick one film. Uh, We threw one choice out to the people on Twitter. And our lovely friend Paul, who composed the great music that you just heard, has also picked a film. Tonight we're doing my choice, which is Billy Wilder's 1960 movie, The Apartment. Inspired by Noel Coward's brief encounter, the film was nominated for 10 Oscars and won five, though the subject matter was regarded as a pretty controversial turn for Wilder after his box office smashed Some Like It Hot. The movie was later developed into a musical Promises Promises written by Neil Simon, Hal David and Burt Bacharach, which included the much-covered song I'll Never Fall In Love Again. Tonight we'll be baking a fruitcake for Bud, played by Jack Lemmon, and straining some spaghetti with a tennis racket for Fran, played by Shirley MacLaine. What does the connection between these two characters tell us about the festive season can affect lens through which we see our personal lives, and how much does it apply to life in 2021? So many of the movies that we enjoy around this time are based around um, the idea of family, that family is, you know, at the centre of the holiday season. And it's this continuation of this kind of glittering, fantastical dream that so many of us grew up with as kids. And this movie feels to me like a bit of a love letter to those people who find themselves as adults in kind of complicated personal situations that don't necessarily look like, you know, Christmas cards. I think it's possibly the most kind of compassionate film ever made about what it's like to be single at times of the year, you know, where it's all kind of wintry outside and there's all this forced jollity and, you know, it can just make you feel this whole kind of mix of different emotions. I think that it feels quite contemporary in that respect, in that it kind of sheds a bit of light on the complications that can be going on behind the scenes of people's lives. What do you reckon? Well, I, I found it interesting to see that, you know, that the film centred around Calvin, Jack Lemon, and and how he... I suppose there was a, a slightly cynical, satirical look at how business worked um, in that kind of late 50s, early 60s way, where he was essentially lending this apartment out to his um, superiors at work in order to progress his career. And he's this nice guy, but, you know, you can see underneath all that he's doing this to get ahead. There is an ambitious side of him that it's not perhaps as obvious as what you'd expect. And I saw some strange similarities on the surface anyway between Calvin and and Steve Carell's character in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. You know, the way they're portrayed as living, you know, they they live alone. Um, They have their little sort of the the flat or apartment, well, the apartment in, in the, and the way that that's set up. And it is a kind of way that, from the beginning to the end, if you miss the middle of the film, it is a little bit about how nice guys can finish first. And watching yes. it now, I again, this is the first time I'd seen it. And again, I'm filling a lot of gaps in my movie knowledge over this podcast. And you kind of see how this film has inspired so much, whether directly or indirectly. And, and while we were, or while I was watching it and we were, we were, 
talking about um, how much it influenced Mad Men, mm. for example. You know, I mean, they're, they're set in very similar times, and uh, the character of Mister Sheldrake does come across as somewhat Don Draper-ish. Yes, no, nowhere near as cool. <laughs> And he's even got a secretary called Miss Olsen. He does, yeah. Yes. I yes. wonder if that was a, a deliberate nod. But mm. um, but then when you see how Cece, he fancies Fran, the ele- elevator girl, he's very respectful of her in the beginning. You know, she points out that he's the only one who takes his hat off when he gets in the lift. Yes. Um, and little things like that. And, you know, he's this nice guy. And his evolution throughout the film he has this turn where he becomes the kind of person that he wants to suck up to but someone that he doesn't seem to be and it's like an act that he's putting on and you know all this time he fancies her they she stands him up for what is kind of a date because she's the mistress of his boss Mm. um and it's weird that it's all kept so tightly knitted together I know yes. it works, you know, that's the, the setup, but but the fact that she's the mistress of the man who gets him his little promotion because he lends his apartment key to these guys for their afternoon delights or whatever. It's um it does make you wonder how expensive hotel room hotel rooms were in nineteen fifty nine. It does. Do you think this is where the idea of um Airbnbs originated? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might be called something different, but um you do you do wonder. I mean I, I guess not only does he have to lend his key, I mean, does he have to clean up after these people? I'm thinking logistics here. If you get in an Uber, I think I'm, I don't get many Ubers, but you see in the films when he, the drivers keep mints and stuff in the car to make it appealing. I mean, does he have to change the bedding? Does he put out a selection of fine wines when he has his when his guests come to stay? It's, uh... <laughs> yes, well, he has that bit uh, late, later on in the film when he's nursing. Fran Baxter does say that last Christmas he went to the zoo and then he had to come back and clean up after one of his colleagues. That's how he spent (laughs) his Christmas day, which is so, so difficult to difficult to comprehend. And and there's the wonderful bit bit near the beginning where he's trying to organize his schedule with all of these different different people from his office that are wanting to use the apartment and it's kind of nightmarish isn't it particularly with him with a fever desperately trying to get home to be able to to nurse himself and um yeah but it does it does show I I mean I think that it was it was really quite quite difficult for Billy Wilder to get this film made because people just were like no you can't you can't shine a light on all of this. I mean, we know it goes on, but you're not allowed to say that it goes on, you know. Uh, so that in itself is quite is quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> it's weird watching it because you can see when you look back now and you kind of think, you know, this film came out 20 years before I was born. And yet if someone was born now, I mean, we're talking a film that came out in 2001, it'd be like watching oh, Notting Hill or something like that. But yeah. it's... um. It's strange how a lot of the themes seem to be kind of similar and, and you know, from, from other episodes we've done where, you know, the, the relationships are between their colleagues, but there's a hierarchy there. You know, she's an elevator girl. And this was a time when women did jobs like that. You know, she failed yeah. becoming a typist, so she ended up working in the lifts. Mm. Um, and because he's a man, he works in a job where he gets to wear a hat and he 
gets to go in a lift and not press the buttons, which is the best bit, to be fair. But it's um yes, it is. It, it does show again how how things have changed. And I know we we talk about how things have aged over the course of the time, and I think at the time of recording, anyway. I mean, um, this is the oldest film we've looked at. This because yes. it's nineteen sixty. Yes. Um. So you see that there's a lot of. Some of it's quite casual, some of it's quite stark misogyny in there from the way that Fran is groped in the lift by the men who ride in there, from the way to the way that she's treated by Mr. Sheldrake. And he is, you know, the archetypal cliche of, I'm going to divorce my wife, I'm going to leave, you know, you're Mm. the one for me. And and it turns out she's just the latest in a long line of, say, concubines, but uh, mistresses anyway. Yes. Oh, you had to take Tommy to the dentist, huh? No cavities, good. Uh, hold it, dear. Where are you going, Baxter? I don't want to intrude. I, I, I thought since everything was straightened out anyway... I'm not through with you yet. The reason I called is I won't be home for dinner tonight. The branch manager from Kansas City's in town. I'm taking him to the theater. Music man, what else? No, don't wait out for me, Tommy. Goodbye. Tell me, Baxter, have you seen Music Man? Yes, well, people talk these days about the overuse of terms like gaslighting and, you know, what does gaslighting really mean? Because everyone has started to use it to refer to everything. But when when you watch this, you do think, oh, well, actually, Sheldrake's behaviour is a, is a really good example of what people mean in when they're using that term in the truest sense in the sense that you have a scene with him saying I'm going to I'm going to leave my wife I'm really serious about this now and Fran saying well I've started to get over you so you don't have to worry about me we had an affair and it's done and him going no 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 this is you know I really mean this and then him telling her all of these things and then that making her believe it all going home with him and then the next day you just have this kind of really brutal scene of you know him saying you're gonna just sit there and keep bawling you know this isn't always you know this isn't like you you're always such a good sport and I have to go home you know the kids are home from the holidays and I have to go and trim the tree and all of this and you do think oh wow he is he's he's not just he's not just a womanizer he is just a master manipulator and he tells people whatever it is that's going to push their buttons for him to get what he wants in the moment. And then he'll just tell them the next day that, you know, that they kind of imagined it all. And that's how he reacts um, when she takes the sleeping pills as well. He just sort of says, can we just forget that all of this has happened? So so you're right, even though it's a film that shows a particular kind of behaviour, in some ways it's quite... The fact that, I mean, in some ways it sort of preempts, doesn't it, things like the Me Too movement, because it, it kind of goes there and says, actually, people, there are people out there that are really, you know, utilising their positions of power to, to do really bad things. And, and when you put this, and again, it's on my part, very lazy comparison, because I am lazy, but when you put this on a timeline in history, and, and again, it's like veering off topic, but it does involve relationships where you can see that, in 1960, this is the relationship between um, Mr. Sheldrake and Fran and, and Calvin there too, because he would like to court Fran, to use yes. probably a, a 1960 term or to yes. woo her. Um, <laughs> and when you move on to, say, the 80s, when it's nine to five, um, the the treatment of the boss to the subordinates is more bullying rather than there's a little bit of sexual harassment in there towards Dolly Parton's character, but um, yes, you know, there, there's not around a, 
a more conventional relationship and then you move it on to I mean someone mentioned actually and I'll go behind the curtain here a little bit when we talked about our Twitter poll for Christmas films and someone mentioned a film uh, starring Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock Yes, and I think it was, was the proposal. Yes, that's it. And I saw that in the cinema. Don't ask me why. And and it was she was his boss, and they ended up getting married for her convenience. I think she was she Canadian or something, and um, it was on telly quite recently. And yeah, there was this whole scenario where it's not that dissimilar, except they flip the genders, and I, this kind of stuff happens, and relationships are kind of central to that. Yes, and it's kind of interesting the way that the when Fran discovers because Fran is essentially the victim in all this mm. you know and and she discovers when the clues are laid out it's like the end of Cluedo and she finds that about halfway through the film before the scene in the apartment where she takes the sleeping pills she's discovered that um Sheldrake is married he's not left his wife because he sent a christmas card a family christmas card to um to cc yes and that's kind of where you see it all unraveling and then everyone's having a drink because it's a christmas party mm. it's very much mad men and miss olsen yeah. tells her about you know his line of shenanigans and that you know sh- she was one of them as well and they had code names and things like that so yes yes I mean, it's a fascinating web this man leads but uh you know completely Maybe he's not suited to personnel, or, or maybe he's a bit too suited. Somebody watching my line. There's a swinging party on the 19th floor. There's something about Christmas time, isn't there, where all emotions are kind of heightened. So even though you've got all of this uh, merriment and, and parties and, and people getting drunk and, and all of that, quite often there's something about it because it makes people feel nostalgic it might make them think about the things that they've lost or so on and so forth during the year it can kind of you know kind of like play with the emotions in that way and there's a few things that happen in this where they keep repeating that beat um like as you say in the party when when fran discovers through the secretary that she's just in a, in a long line of women and you kind of have all of this kind of hubbub behind her of everyone having a great time and snogging each other and there being kind of all this dancing around and then and then um kind of happens later on as well when Baxter gets back to the flat with the married woman that he's got drunk with in the bar and he finds Fran on the bed and he doesn't know whether or not she's alive and you hear that music that jolly music playing on the record player as he's as he's sort of realizing what's happened and then you know again you have uh her being slapped by the doctor to try and kind of bring her around and then the gunshot later on in the film and there are all of these kind of just jolting moments that happen all the way through that um yeah it's like and it sort of conjures up some of the the Christmas songs that we listen to a lot at this time, because even the most, like some of the most popular ones, like Last Christmas by Wham, sort of, you know, they kind of play on the feeling of this, this kind of thing that you have. And Fairy Tale of New York as well. You know, we, we quite like Christmas songs, I think, that, that talk a little bit about regret and hurt, as well as, you know, the fact that you'll sing along to them in the pub or whatever you know it's like it's a it's a 
funny time of year in that way. I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of it as a time of year, but I think, um, yeah, it can be quite, can make everyone feel quite emotional, can't it? Yeah, and I think as well when, in a, in a lot of Christmas films, and we talked on, you know, former podcast life about Home Alone, for example, where yes, you know, that was a film around family and being alone. Yes, hence the title. But um, when you look at the apartment and how Calvin lives, mm. it kind of reminds me of the, the glory days of my younger self. I was going to call it <laughs> 2005, 2006, 2007. You know, I had my own place and it was like, <laughs> this makes me sound, this makes me sound <laughs> awful. When, Did you have a tennis racket to strain spaghetti? This is the oh, real question. No, when you can live off bread. <laughs> but you know and, and it would but when he says the fact i think when fran is recovering he says i'll find you a new toothbrush and I'm like, well of course he's a bachelor he has to have a whole bag of new toothbrushes for for the many ladies you know who stay over uh, but again he probably lays them out like mints on a hotel room pillow yes well there's something there's a real pathos to some of the things he says around that because uh when the doctor comes around i think it's when the doctor comes around he he says to him you know is she is she with you and he says around here i'm known as quite a ladies man and there's the thing all the way through the film where baxter's sort of trying to make out that he you know it's like yeah i bring girls i bring girls around and i know that a lot of that is partly him saying that in order to protect her reputation and also sheldrake's reputation but still as you say, there's this there's this sort of idea that he he's kind of thinking I've got I've got to sell this as me being quite a kind of fun bachelor. I can't I can't let people kind of think that I'm ever lonely or or anything like that. You know? I mean, it, it's very good at selling the sad side of it. Mm. In that he has to go. I mean, he's got this apartment. However, he came into it uh, that's so desired by his his work colleagues, and yet it's like. I don't know I didn't when I went to uni I stayed at home I didn't go away and I suppose it's like if you share a a, a dorm or uni halls of residence and you've got to go and stand outside because your mate's pulled and yes he's got to stand outside in the cold in December in New York while god knows what people get up to in in his bed it mm. just sounds you know, that's very much the unglamorous side of it. He's living off the TV dinners, the ready meals. And in some respect, it is kind of like, oh, wow, that must be really cool. And then you kind of think, no, it just, it really must be awful. You know, when, <laughs> yeah. you know, imagine just standing outside the window, just waiting for whatever to finish. And then your neighbours thinking, oh, he must be some kind of swordsman. But no, he's actually a really this sweet innocent guy who's just you know doing it for an you know ultimately to get ahead in the workplace which just like is it worth it well exactly well that's the thing about this do you think that do you think that the apartment and as in as in the film do you think it makes us kind of question how much we as a society tend to value people depending on how successful they've become because it kind of is sort of saying yeah, some people are really successful, but look at the really successful people in this film. They're, you know, they have no moral core. <laughs> and and in order for him to to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to be a better person, he kind of has to tell them to go F themselves. So that is quite, there's a bit of social commentary in there, isn't there? I mean, I know that they're not preaching to us overtly, but... No, and, and again, that's part of the, the cynicism of, of life when... You know, he's looking at the world of business. I mean, he could quite easily be looking at the world of politics in this country where yeah. 
the people who are in charge are awful. (laughs) And yet people aspire to be like them. Completely. um, Baxter's got this apartment which is desired and he's whether he's saved up or inherited it or whatever, it's obviously become, you know, a thing of envy to these people. And it's kind of like Groucho Marx, he said, I don't want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member. I yes. Paraphrase yes. somewhat, but and it's kind of like, is it worth going for all this hassle? And and we see at the end, you know, he's even when he gets, I think, his second promotion in a matter of weeks, and he's Sheldrake's assistant. He's still expected to give the key at the drop of the hat because he's looking to um, to get his end away. Sorry, but yeah technical term that and um yeah. he's you know he, he realizes that no matter how good he is at his job and by all accounts he is fairly good at his job he's only there because he's useful um yes you know and again that's another commentary on on sort of relationships between employees and, and employers and and colleagues and stuff but he's he's also seen not just how immoral these people are in in their treatment of him but when he phones Sheldrake at home on Christmas Day, mm. you know, and he's doing all the lovely family stuff, and he's like, you know, I don't want to talk to her, deal with it. It's not my problem. It's yeah. You know, t- to him, Fran is as disposable as exaggeration. But when you see films about the the ones who like dead prostitutes, and she's tra- yes, that's how she's treated. I don't care. She's not almost not a person. Yeah, completely. You know, I mean, it'd be bad enough if it was just a random person, but not someone that he was looking to, to get the affections of. But um, yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a, a sobering look, and it's nice to know that some themes are timeless. Yeah, and I, th- I think wh- when I watch it, I do think it's a, it's a really. I mean, I, I think it's quite a feminist film in that way for the reasons that you just described. Because so often when you have um, like the most famous films or some of the most famous films about uh, things like infidelity. I mean, the most famous one is probably Fatal Attraction, where kind of the, the central idea is is of kind of the man involved being a victim to a psychopath, you know. And um, and of course, that can happen. But in, in this film, it's just kind of quite a, st- you know, they, they show you, they just show you, and it's partly due to how amazing Shirley MacLaine is, as well as how brilliantly written it is. They, they show you just the kind of, just the pain that someone can inflict. And then they take you through, as you say, his just, his complete dismissiveness as a result of them, of his actions. You know, he's just not, he's He's just, because she's because she's working in an elevator and she's single. He doesn't he doesn't think of her as being on the same level as the people that he meets, um, who are the same status as him or his wife or his his family. You know, and it's quite even that moment where she gives him the record and he says, "You better keep it. I can't bring it home." And everything just makes you kind of go, "Oh God, that that you know that it kind of hurts to watch." She's in that situation where you know. Sheldrake's given her a hundred dollars. I mean, this may as well be the relationship between her and Sheldrake, but it's um, she give, he given her a hundred dollars as a kind of Christmas present it is very much the go buy yourself something nice, yeah. And she says, you know, when she he tells her off for crying, and it's like when you're in love with a married man, don't wear mascara, <laughs> yes, and stuff like that, and yes, it's just 
you feel so bad for her. I mean, it's... Yes, and she says... He's a taker. What? Some people take, some people get took. And they know they're getting took and there's nothing they can do about it. I think the the, mo- the modern term for it these days is being a people pleaser. Mm. And there's something in the whole the whole movie that explores the idea of both uh, Fran and Baxter not not having good enough self-esteem in order to be able to kind of draw a line where they say actually no you're not allowed to go beyond this I I've, I've had enough I have I I need certain kind of you know parameters in my life to have a good life you know and she's and she's by him letting all of these people use his apartment he has hasn't got those those kind of you know those boundaries in line and she hasn't either with with Sheldrake and and so it's kind of a it's it's sort of a call for people as well as to treat each other well to also kind of treat themselves well isn't it hmm. yeah it's very very much like a prequel to working girl <laughs> yes you know it's it's so interesting you should say that because I thought that the beginning of this film reminds me of the end of, of working girl where they kind of pan out onto all the offices I mean it's such a it's such an influential film. This there's so many bits of it that reminded me of other films. Like I don't know what you thought, but I think that the run that she does at the end is so similar to Harry at the end of When Harry Met Sally. Mm, yeah. And you were saying that his character reminded you of your man from The Forty Year Old Virgin. I also thought that his character is a little bit like Ben Stiller's character in Along Came Polly. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I've there's lots of people one. out there that yeah. have seen Along Came Polly. Okay. <laughs> Is that the one with Jennifer Aniston? Yes. Right, okay. Yes. I've seen the poster. And um, he's, yeah, he's similarly kind of obsessed with statistics and I think it's a little bit similar. And also the the moment where he tells, uh, he tells Sheldrake to go shove it, you know, it's a, it's a little bit David Brent telling Finchie. <laughs> Bloody you know, good rep. So yeah. F off. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> Bloody good rep. And um and yeah and I think the whole film is quite you know influential on on other films as well. I I thought it was obviously got a bit of an influence on a film like Manhattan too. Mm. So um so yeah there's there's a lot that and um and that thing that we were saying about the the kind of the commentary about the people running the world being being without a kind of moral center. There's also that that scene isn't there towards the beginning where he's trying to relax after work and watch television. He's trying to relax in front of a movie as we would do preparing for a podcast but um <laughs> he's he's got his chicken bone in his mouth and uh they keep they keep delaying the movie for all of these various infomercials well, and you very, get that kind very of very much like a yeah. podcast isn't it <laughs> exactly <laughs> but you get that you get that sense in this film of this kind of claustrophobia of oh god you know you just can't escape it the co- you know corporate America is always there. Even when you go home and you try and relax, either one of your bosses is going to call you on the phone asking to use the apartment, or you're going to turn on the movie and you're going to just have to sit through all of these adverts. All I want to do is relax, you know. And then him him having to take sleeping pills to go to sleep as well sort of really kind of hammers that home. You know, it's like he can't he can't in an organic way relax when he gets home because everything's just too tense. Yeah, I, I look yeah. forward to a phone call from my boss asking for something similar. He's going to be very disappointed. But um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I Woody, did, Woody uh, would have something to say about that. Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Me and Woody, we're very much yeah, bachelors in spirit. Um, <laughs> I mean, the one of the the trivia bits I read around this, and again, this is like slightly away from the relationship, but it's um, about how this film was 
lauded by film critics from the sort of Soviet East Germany kind of the communist because it was an indictment of I mean written here an indictment of the American system and capitalism right Uh, and you can see you know this is kind of it's a bit like the American dream and at the end which we'll talk about was that of course they end up together Baxter and Mm. Fran they end up together um you know he's got his own place and the fact that she you know when when she comes around from being slapped up by the doctor yeah which in 1960 is probably perfectly normal but watching yeah. it now is a bit and she comes around she's in his apartment and she's still wondering why are you here you know, yes it's um the, the way their relationship forms and i know we, we've joked about doing an episode about speed when one of the recurring films in Speed, and I keep saying the word speed like that Homer Simpson quote. I saw this in a movie about a bus that had to speed around the city, keeping its speed over 50. And if its speed dropped, it would explode. I think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down. I think they talk about how relationships formed in moments of trauma or stress never last. Um, And bear in mind, they're kind of... You know, they get to know each other better because she tries to kill herself because a married man essentially dumped her in his flat that she yes. was using as a sex den. It's mm. um, not not the sort of meat cute that you get in a lot of films. No, no, that's true. I do love speed. <laughs> I it's inter- it's interesting. I I also thought that um, there's something about the scene where her brother-in-law comes around and he there's an implication there that he thinks that the reason that she's recovering in there is because um baxter got her pregnant and she had an abortion and there's something about see that uh, there's something about that scene where you have jack lemon's character taking responsibility for her having um taken the sleeping pills and just sort of saying she's my responsibility you know this is all this is all down to me and then him getting punched and it kind of leading to a series of misunderstandings that reminds me a little bit of what Johnny does uh, in Dirty Dancing where he says that he's um that he's responsible for the for the woman who's having to have an abortion in that film and in both cases, there is something I think uh, quite. Even though in the, in this case, Baxter is, is also protecting Sheldrake, there is something about your hero not just taking responsibility for their their own actions, but actually trying to you know protect a woman by taking responsibility for something that another man has either caused or driven them to. That is. Yeah, I think that that kind of, you know, seems like like quite brave behaviour. And I, you know, it, it really gets the audience on side. I don't know what you thought about that. Yeah, because I think he does have moments where, and it is, not, it is mainly around him getting the new job, where he becomes, yeah. I would say unlikable, but there are sides to his character where you kind of feel like, you know, it is a bit like that greasy slope upwards and he loses those soft edges that you kind of want in a in a hero 
and yes yes completely you know. no you, you, he has that moment where he it's during the christmas party i think and he's with he's with fran and and he says you know one doesn't get to be a second administrative assistant around here without having a pretty without having a pretty good judge of character you know and he's he's utilizing his status a lot to to get mm. her to kind of you know be impressed by him and you're so right it's not you know that at that point that does all you kind of think oh god he's just turning into one of them but then i suppose as well it's you know it's almost becoming a, a partnership we'll have to do a 40 year old virgin one where where andy i'd love to maybe we will um where <laughs> he he his personality changes when you know suddenly he doesn't want to be a virgin anymore and he thinks he needs to be someone different that isn't him and I think it's. I mean, he he gets a very different awakening when I think it's Elizabeth Banks in a bathtub and a shower head. He suddenly mm. he suddenly realizes, oh God, what have I done? Um, <laughs> you know, and instead here he's just trying out a new hat, which is you know I think maybe more men should wear hats. But it's um yeah, it's it's interesting that he's so likable for ninety five percent of the film that you do you want them to get together. And yeah. yet, when I was watching this armed with some notes and <laughs> we were, you know, the, the, the seed was sown around, yeah. do they seem in love? Mm. How much is this relationship going to last? I think is whether it's, you know, and you do wonder, are they the way that they've come together have they been through too much already you know she runs to him because he's told the story about how he nearly killed himself yes shot himself in the knee and and she so she knows he's got a gun and has a propensity for self-harm god yes. this is a film from 1960 these things are timeless yeah and when she runs up at the end after um dumping sheldrake in the chinese restaurant and she runs mm. up and hears the gunshot and she's obviously assuming instantly that it's it's a gunshot um then there's the relief that it's a champagne bottle and it just yeah. I, I don't know it just seems you know there's no reason why it couldn't work but it from what you see from movies it does seem a bit like i don't know they'd have to have a lot of open discussion around you know she's clearly still going through a very painful breakup and bear in mind that the length of this film the timeline is probably about six or seven weeks yes and although isn't it between christmas and new year well the, the main part is yeah but i think oh, the main from, part from yeah, the, yeah yeah you're right i yeah. think from the yeah. beginning of the film is about that um yeah. but yeah i think most of the story takes place yeah sort of christmas eve and then between and she's gone through a lot mm. of it and he's got two promotions at work as he keeps reminding us <laughs> but he's also basically being used willingly if that's a term you can have as a pimp yeah, yeah to some degree yeah. um and then has all of a sudden fallen for one of the girls that have essentially been exploited mm. if we're gonna be really modern about it and i know it's it, that is quite a modern way of looking at it but you know she's gone through a lot he's gone through a lot mm. and all of a sudden there he tells her he loves her at the end and she's yeah. quite obviously for played for laughs but she's quite dismissive of it of him saying he absolutely adores her uh, while they're yeah. playing cards which is very nice and it's a really well written line and yeah. it's a really great way to end the film 
master of closing lines. Billy Wilder. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this is total education for me. Is this something that he's done? One of the most famous lines in comedy that closes a film is at the end of Some Like It Hot, where he says, I'm a man. And the other guy says, well, nobody's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the film that came just before this. So I think think Billy Wilder was like working really hard to get a really good ending because he'd he'd had a lot of... um, understandably had a lot of plaudits for that one so difficult second album i love you miss kubley three queen did you hear what i said miss kubley i absolutely adore you shut up and deal it's forced a little bit the ending in that it brings them together so quickly um and i feel like it would be something that needs to grow a little bit more um, mm. And I think that with the the baggage that they have, it seems very quick. And I sound really old by saying they're rushing into this, they'll regret it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why that closing line is so good, because she says, shut up and deal. She doesn't say, I love you too, or yeah. let's run away together. It's ambiguous, but you know that they're, you know, on the right track. Hopefully, yeah. But it doesn't, that's, that's why it's such an amazing script is that it doesn't ever descend into sentimentality, but at the same time, the script has got all this, this sort of beautiful kind of, you know, it's got a really warm heart, but it never gets sort of schlocky in a way that so many other festive romantic comedies might get. I'm sure we'll talk about one over this period. <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, Die Hard does get quite sentimental at times, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So you hang in there, man. You hear me? You hang in there. Yeah, thanks, partner. Okay, two things. The first thing is that I'd say that when she gets told by Sheldrake that Baxter told me to to shove the job and also, you know, that I wasn't going to be taking anyone back to the flat, um, especially not you, I'd say that that, you know, because before she probably thought, oh, this guy seems quite nice, this Baxter guy, but uh, he seems like maybe he doesn't really have much of a backbone, maybe a bit of a pushover, and maybe, as you say, you know, a bit sort of slippery trying to get ahead. So when you hear that, that makes you think, oh, wow, I really underestimated this guy. And also it's kind of hot, you know, someone doing that. Taking notes, yeah. And also the second thing is that he makes her spaghetti and lets her eat it in her dressing gown. And, you know, I mean, what's more lovable than that? <laughs> are we dressing for dinner? You know, just come as you are. So you're pretty good with that racket. You should see my backhand. Where did you see me serve the meatballs? <laughs> You, you feel, oh God, like Shel- if Sheldrake's meant to be our representation of what someone who's married is like, then, you know, this is this is quite depressing. But but then you have the doctor next door and his um, wife and she at one point says, you know, for me, the doctor has no secrets. So she already knows everything about what's happening <laughs> next door. And she's so kind of... She's, pushy but really nurturing and stuff so actually I think there's something about those two 
that you kind of think actually you know they 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 they're a really lovely representation of of being a of being an an intimate married couple aren't they something really they've they've got their their values in the right order haven't they yeah i mean like yeah. the we only meet the wife really in in one main sequence where she chastises him for not having real napkins and you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know she, that, that, that is kind of she's like an irish mother in that regard you know so it yes. comes around and, and checks and uh, you know she, she was very wonder what the relationship between her and the doctor is behind closed doors um you know we're, we're yes i wonder well trusting and well balanced but uh i mean i i did actually put even early in the film sometimes we, we like to give an honorable mention to to have a relationships and i thought the relationship between baxter and, and dr dreyfus was was an interesting one and there was you know the the early the the reminders that about his lifestyle and obviously not his lifestyle but those of the people in his apartment and you know, it must be even when he used some of that, when he said about donating his body to medical science, when he was bragging to the yes. woman in the bar, he's like, I'm such a Lafario, they want my body for medical science. It's like, yeah. No, completely. And at, the, and at the beginning, when the doctor says that to him, do you mind leaving your body to the university? Baxter says, oh, I think if I if I did, you'd be really disappointed. You know, <laughs> <like."> <laughs> And that's what you're so right. That's what's so lovely about the progression of the relationship between those two is because at the beginning you get the feeling that Dr. Dreyfus is just this quite, you know, sort of judges him for this lifestyle that he thinks he's leading that he's not and is sort of saying, do you mind le- leaving your body? And it, it's all that. And then it ends on such a lovely note, doesn't it, um, where he invites him round to their New Year's party that, we're having, that they're having. And... Um, and tells him that they're going to miss him when he goes and yeah it's all I, I find all of that really touching and and when he offers to pay him for looking after Fran he said oh, I didn't do it as a doctor I did it as a neighbour yeah that's all that's all very that's the spirit of Christmas isn't it yeah, yeah. so we don't need ho 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 I've got a machine gun or anything you know this is the Christmas <laughs> spirit you know and the fact that there is also a Santa in here as well in in the bar you know, just yes. little drops in. I mean, the, the Christmas thing is, it's not hammered over your head in the way that certain films are, but Christmas is there throughout. You know, obviously that's the time of year it's set. It's the, You've got a Santa in the bar. They're talking about how sad life can be as a bachelor on Christmas Day. Um, mm. I didn't realise the zoo was open on Christmas Day. It must be a New York thing. <laughs> I like the bit where she asks him, Fran asks Baxter about whether he has usually has dinner alone and he says no I sometimes have it with um, Ed Sullivan sometimes Perry Como sometimes Dina Shaw sometimes Mae West and um, yeah all of that all of that is um yes such is such such a lovely kind of detailed script and um and I like the way they have him as a bachelor but he doesn't, he exudes, that's the thing about this performance from Jack Lemmon, it exudes like a real sprightly good humour all the way through, doesn't it? He's not, he doesn't have that thing where, um, 
you know the way sometimes like with with films like Bridget Jones they they kind of kicked it off with her with her listening to can't you know was it what was it um Celine Dion what was the song yeah it was something like can't live if living is all without by myself you. all by myself oh, that's the I thing yeah <laughs> well done well remembered <laughs> and and that and that's the thing about about certain you know sometimes in romantic comedies where they 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 present you with a single person they can really hammer home this idea that you know the person you know when they're left to their own devices is just having a kind of awful time and staring into space and wondering when someone will talk to them but um but there's something about him in this where the the main the the, the irritant is the fact that he's being interrupted all the time because people are using his apartment and stuff. But you you don't get the feeling that left to his own devices, he goes to pieces. He's got he's got a positive energy, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't even have a PlayStation. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, I guess it is like, you know, again, the, the, the links with him and, and Andy from The 40-Year-Old Virgin, where they seem quite content in their own company, which is a skill. And it's something yes. that you don't see a lot of. And I think because drama comes from conflict in a lot of cases so you know the fact that he's sitting there and, and his you know minor gripes around you've already said around the the, the adverts on the tv and things like that but yeah uh, yeah you know all he wants is a nice quiet night in sounds like a great time completely i mean it was so well written and you do hope that i don't know you don't do you want him to fix fran and, and for her to take him away from bachelorhood but uh, you, you do think that at least they'll they'll know enough about each other that they'll at least appreciate each other's company. I don't need a lot of presents to make my Christmas bright. I just need my baby's arms wound around me tight. Oh, Santa, hear my plea. Santa, bring my baby back to me. Well, as we take the needle off the record player and slip a crisp $100 bill into an envelope marked Jeff, we ask ourselves the eternal question, which way would it crumble if not cookie-wise? I've been Rich. I've been Cat. Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. <laughs> this has been Don't You Want Me. Please make those reindeers hurry, the time is drawing near. It sure don't seem like Christmas without my baby here. Fill my socks with candy, bright and shiny toys. You wanna make me happy? I'd fill my heart with joy. Oh, Santa, hear my plea. Santa, bring my baby back.